Um, long story short, we end up being here. And Addy was the very first church that I visited in the U.S. Was this place here. And it was just a special place. We got married right here 20 years ago. This is my wife, Molly, back there. <laughs> so this, you know, back then, this is a full-on basketball court in here. We had orange carpet. You guys remember the orange carpet? That was just hideous, but it was great. So it was... It was fun to uh, 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 decorate a church for a wedding with orange carpet, but it was it was a lot of fun. I I, I it's just a special place to be here, um, be with you guys. There's always just such a feeling of of community and family when we're here. Even though you don't know everybody, you're just kind of like, hey, how's it going? You know, and it's I I really enjoy that. And uh, and for some reason, God chose to work in Addy. Um, I think if I look over all the missionaries and the, the workers and the missionaries that God have raised within Addy, I'm amazed to see what God has done internationally, talking about internationally, through this church in Addy, Washington, that most people don't even know they drive through. God chose to raise up incredible men and women of God to minister across the world. I mean, even Don with all of his globetrotting, you know, I always follow him and some of the stuff that you've been doing. And I just think it's just amazing that all these people come from Addy. I, I, it's, it's beautiful. I think there's just a, the Spirit of God just rests on this place. And I always love coming here and sharing what we're doing and, and what God has laid on our hearts. Um, so, uh, quick update for us. We moved from... We were in Cape Town, South Africa for the last seven years, and we recently moved last year in July. We came here, so we just over one year that we've been back in the States now. We moved in the middle of COVID when uh, we had to, the, South Africa was still on a, on a lockdown, and we had to get special permission uh, to fly out of South Africa. Now, I don't know how many ever traveled internationally during lockdown. Anybody dumb enough to do that? Okay, so just us. So we, um, so you, you literally walk into interna- no walk into international airport. You get bussed in with police dog and escorts, and there is nobody. It's crickets in there, and you walk through the gate. You, obviously, everything is really fast because nobody's there. But you get to your gate, and there's nobody there. There's no music. There's no annoying announcements. There's no. Nothing, it's just silence. And then you walk in the airplane and everybody has like these spacesuits on back then, you know. It's like you look like you are the virus itself. But uh, that was a year ago. And uh, I, I think God, through God's grace, he's really helped us navigate through that transition period being here. And I want to thank you for your prayers. I think it was rough um, transitioning our family and uh, we're, we're still hitting rough spots, but I, I think for the most part we're through it. And it's been, it's been quite a challenge and quite an ordeal how God has worked through us and uh, what he's done in our lives. So quick update on, um, I don't know if some of you might be knowing what's going what happened in South Africa. There's been major riots and stuff going on in South Africa and looting and burning of malls and, and uh quite havoc there for a few days. So things are not all clear in South Africa yet. Um, There's still a lot of, but the riots have kind of calmed down. 
a little bit, and uh, I think people are more aware of what's going on. I think the police was caught completely off guard, and um, I saw a fun meme the other day that South Africa's Defense Force um, has now one of the best camouflage suits in the world because nobody could see where they were in the riots. So, um, <laughs> sorry, South African joke. We, you know, that's how South Africans deal with tragedy and difficult things. We make jokes about it, you know, we make light of it. Um, but yeah, things have calmed down a little bit. Uh, we're still in the middle of uh, quite a uh, COVID wave hitting there. We know a lot of friend, dear friends of ours that have lost loved ones, and so we appreciate your prayers for that. Um, um, as far as Nepal is concerned, we've been working in Nepal for ages and ages, and things are, they also in another lockdown. Um, but God has started to give very creative ways for some of our church planners there to preach the gospel, and one of the, one of the uh, church planners um, created a, a, a WhatsApp broadcast message group slash preaching platform, I don't know what you call it, and uh, just kind of been sharing the gospel and sharing Jesus stories through it and just sending it out, and um, we talked to him about two weeks ago, and he shared to us that there was an unreached people group that we actually wanted to go to last year and several years ago that God just didn't open the door for us. But there's a place uh, called Upper Dolpa, which is completely unreached. There's no, that we know of, no churches up there. Um, and through what he is doing, two ladies gave their heart to the Lord in Upper Dolpa. And I was like, all right, way to go, WhatsApp, you know. It's like Facebook, <laughs> you know, Mark Zuckerberg, eat, eat this, God moving. You know, I think it's just amazing that God uses and moves despite, you know, he uses everybody and everything. And, and uh, I think what the guy's doing in Nepal is just absolutely amazing, preaching the gospel and getting the gospel out and people coming to know the Lord. And, um, yeah, his churches are still growing um, last I heard, I think they've planted now over 60 churches in, in Nepal. And it's just, it's just amazing what God does when things get hard and things get tough. And, you know, he raises up a standard. And, and anyway, it's, I think it's, it's just incredible. So um, I don't know if you guys heard about the, um, there's a, a, a family that left church after baptism. And the little girl was in the car, and she was just really visibly very upset driving home. And her dad asked her, honey, what, what is wrong? You know, why, why are you so upset? And she's just crying, and she says, well, you know, after my brother got baptized today and the pastor's praying over us, he said that he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home. And she's like, but I want to be with you guys. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke day. It's, thank you for laughing my jokes. I'm here all day. Um, I want to I share with you guys a little bit of kind of what the Lord has been putting on my heart. And I'm in the middle of this, so I'm not, I can't really preach to you or share with you. I, I would kind of like, more like share my journey as the Lord is putting it on my heart. And it's got to do with suffering and persecution. And uh, it's, it's, it's been sparked by several things, but it's sparked mostly by my wife. 
not because of the reason why you think. She gave me a book to read. And uh, the book is about, um, it's called Def- Defying Jihad. And the book is about a Muslim girl that grew up in a very fundamentalist Muslim home and to where she got, she got uh, the message over and over again about jihad. Now what jihad is, is, it is, it's the Muslim holy war. Basically it means that you strap a bomb to yourself and you find an area with the most Christians possible, you blow yourself up, and the more Christians you kill, the better chance you have of going to heaven. So that's in a nutshell what jihad is. And she was, she was so into Islam and into this message that she decided that that is what she's going to do. She's going to go on jihad. She's going to finish the school and then she's going to go to this two-week training and then she's going to blow herself up and she's going to bring honor and praise to Allah and hopefully she will get to heaven. But then God got a hold of her and uh, turned her life completely around. Now at Pakistan at the time, when you do that, uh, it's, it's a death sentence, you know, and that's where her father, her father found out what happened, and he got the whole town together, they all showed up at the house, and they were going to drag her into the street, kill her, chop her body off, up, and send it throughout the city. But at the last minute, her, her dad said, no, we're going we're gonna to give this a try. We're going we're gonna to see if we can't convince you that Islam is still the way to go. And then and she said, well, you can try, but I'm pretty much, no, I follow Jesus. So then two-thirds of the book is about her literally facing death in the face every day, knowing that today might be the day I'm going to die. Today is my last. So I'm going to live everything that I have for Jesus Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lay it all out there. And I'm going to give what I am for Christ. And every day something comes up and she, she testifies to Christ in front of their mullahs and their imams. And, and, and then they go away and then she prays and she's like, okay, well, God, tomorrow's my last. And she recognized that the more she wins these arguments in front of the mullahs and stuff, the more her death is not imminent, uh, it's guaranteed she is going to die. Because her father just got more and more angry and wanted to die. Anyway, so uh, long story short, she doesn't die. But, you know, but for me, it's just the, the, the thing in her heart of, of, of looking, her focus on Christ and focus on everything about what Jesus has done and his sufferings and the stuff that he gone through to save her life, to pay for her sins, and everything that she's going through. And she's like... She's like, I'm, this, it's, what I'm going through is nothing compared to what Christ is doing. You know, and she got beaten severely a couple of times, once by her father and once by her uncles. And, and every time she just stands up and she's like, thank you, Jesus, for going through the suffering and going through what, what you have for me. And, uh, and that, that really is... is, is pulling on my heart, and I feel like the Lord has really started to talk to me, because not all persecution are that extreme, um, not all suffering is, is, is to that um, extreme. Um, in, in, in all nations that, that we work with, I don't know if you've, you've heard, but Floyd McClung 
half passed away this, just this last year, a couple months ago. Um, he was the founder of All Nations. He was being with YWAM for many years. And, uh, but anyway, he's, he, he, he spent a long time suffering and in, in being in a comatose state. And, and, you know, he has just had such a heart for the unreached and for the nations um, before he got sick and got, got into that uh, weird coma that he was in. And what, what I think of is, is his wife, Sally, uh, what she has gone through while he was in, while he was kind of semi-conscious, is tremendous. I mean, her cancer came back, and she had chemo after chemo. She had therapy. She had surgery after surgery. She herself was at death, death's door um, on several places, several occasions. And Hebrews 11, I want to read it to you, verse 13. Hebrews 11:13 says, "All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth." And it's kind of the same thing. I was thinking about people suffering for the cause of the gospel or going through things even to the point where you don't see your promise or you don't see what you feel like God has called you to do. But you're, you're staying in the fight and you die even long before that promise comes to fulfillment. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I start doing something, I like to finish it. I like to accomplish it. Tick the box, you know. Um, I, I, I think one of the greatest blessings of COVID is um, the honeydew lists got checked off. Um, I think lawns have never been so immaculate and gardens and ever. Uh, but I like to accomplish stuff. I like to get stuff done. And sometimes when you go through hard things, it's, it's, it always remains in the distance. And you have to have faith that what God is going to do will accomplish itself. <clears throat> no one likes the idea of suffering. No one likes the idea of persecution, of being made fun of, uh, or being the butt of every joke, or being ridiculed, or being singled out because of what you believe, or what you stand for, or your, who you worship. But there's been a, a theology that has started to creep into the church um, that we just don't want you to go through hard times. We just don't want you to suffer. You know, we, we're just here for your comfort. We want to make sure you're warm and toasty and there's coffee and donuts on Sunday and we don't want to make any ripples. My son was like, donuts are where? <clears throat> you know, you, you know the saying, you, we all know that God is good, Amen. All the time. Amen? And all the time, God is good. You guys know this, right? It's the, the, it's, uh, uh, the, I know the verses. I know the concept. It's all very biblical. But in the church, I think we have taken that one step further. We said God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Therefore, good needs to follow you all the time. Or all the time things need to go good with you. 
Right? John 15, 19 says, If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. Think about that. If you belong to the world, it will love you. You'll be one of us. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, for I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world will hate you. See, we don't really like to hear stuff like that. You know, hate me. I don't want people to hate me. Anybody here want people to hate you? Raise your hands. No? It's just not who we are. It's not who we're designed to be. Um, <clears throat> so I want to share with you a little bit on how this translates uh, this message and what Molly and I are doing at the moment. We're working with an organization called Sexuality Unmasked. And what we're talking about, we're sharing with people about the cultural sexual assault in our lives today, in our culture. How the world is trying to change our perceptions and views on this. And it, this, this message of, of, of persecution comes very into play here because we're living in a generation where people don't want to stand out. They don't want to tell the truth because maybe you get canceled or maybe you get, you know, made fun of or whatever. So if you turn with me, I'm going to go to Isaiah, 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 chapter 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You guys know who we're talking about here? That's the devil, right? Lucifer. He was one of the great worship leaders, one of the archangels in heaven. He was just one of God's right-hand man. And it says, You have been cast down to earth. You who weaken the nations. Isn't that an interesting type of title for the devil? You who weaken the nations. So let's think about this, okay? So let's imagine ourselves we're in the boardroom of hell, okay? We got demons sitting all around the table. The, the executive table, the CEO of the devil is sitting right there. And the plan of action is like, okay, how are we going to weaken the nations? Any ideas, you know? One demon sticks his hands and says, I know, potholes. Everybody knows my dad loses his salvation when he hits a pothole. Uh, another person says, well, uh, how about uh, uh, let's cut down internet. Let's stop internet. Wi-Fi, no Wi-Fi. That'll bring the nations down. Like, uh, I mean, my kid's already crying back there just thinking about it. Um... How about, what about the collapse of Instagram or Facebook or TikTok? I mean, that all goes away. I mean, like, what are we going to do now? You know, what are you going to look at on your phone? YouTube's gone. Oh, no. Uh, 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 or maybe war or famine or racism or let's bring up inequality or, or global shortage on coffee. That'll do it. 
That's how you're going to weaken the nations, right? No coffee. But uh, this little demon in the back of this room, in this boardroom, raises his hands, and he's like, no, I know, I know. You target every young man and every young woman, and you change who they are, their identity. So why, do we, why, why would that be so effective? Because we believe that every nation on earth is only as strong as the families in that nation. And the families in that nation are only as strong as the marriages in those families. And that marriage is only as strong as that young man and that young woman that God has put together for his purpose. So if you want to target to weaken the nations, guess who you're going to target? You're going to target that young man and you're going to target that young woman. Because if you can get to them when they are young or when they are vulnerable, you get the outcome you want. You destroy a nation. Well, I don't think it's that bad, you know. So, um, so let's ask the question, is the strategy working? You know, uh, what sin in church uh, takes out more Christians than any other sin? That destroys marriages? That destroys families? That destroys churches? Bank robbery, right? You're about to say bank robbery. No? Gambling? No, not gambling. Uh, Grand theft auto? No, no. It's sex. It's sex and sexual immorality. There's nothing else in our church, in our current age, in our culture, that destroys lives and marriages more than this topic. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a list in church. It's a secret list. It's a hidden list. It's a list that nobody ever talks about or nobody ever show, or nobody ever, it's just this hidden list. And this list is a topics, is a to, is topics that we never talk about in church. Sexual immorality, molestation, rape, abortion, pornography, masturbation, gay and lesbian relationships, transgender, we just don't talk about it. Right? But you see, there's another list that is a list in church of things that people never get healed from. It's the same list. Think about that. It's the same list. Oh, we need, no, we, 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 can't, we can't talk about this issue. We need a PhD in psychology to help people with their problems, Right? I wonder how the Holy Spirit feels about how we've diminished His power and work in our lives. In a survey that was done last year and this year, 25% of women, this is only in the church, I'm talking about the church here, 25% of women has shame from abortion. 
One in four ladies in the church suffer from shame from abortion. 30% of ladies, one in three, have been molested. One in five for men. 80% of people in church have negative sexual experiences. 80%. More than 50% of men in the church have looked at pornography just this last week. We were at a youth camp in Louisiana, and it was just a tremendous time that we had there. And there was a youth camp, about 300 people, and um, we, 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 gave, we had a, a few sessions that we do. And at the end of our session, we gave an altar call for young people to come forward so God can come and help them deal with shame and guilt and, some of, and, and restore and heal some of these areas in their lives. And I think about 250 kids came forward. And they were just bawling at the altar. And they were just, just laying it all down and just spending time with Jesus and just giving it all to Him. And in the middle of that, the, the, the Lord really put on our hearts to ask the question for the girls. And say, girl, how many of you girls have sent pictures of yourself to boys in the school? I have never been so shocked in my life. I think almost every single hand went up of girls at that camp. And this is, this is three weeks ago that this happened. It is astonishing. Did you know that nationwide, 50% of all senior pastors look at pornography on a regular basis? Senior pastors. This is, I'm sorry if you feel like this is heavy, but I feel like we need to break the sound barrier in this. I know you guys started talking about it last week. I think this is just great. We need to start talking about this stuff. We got to talk about what nobody is talking about because we have people in church that there's walking around with this stuff. All the statistics, people right here is dealing with this right here. Statistically, this is true even for Addy. And we can't assume that it's not. It's incredible. All these people come to church. They sit in the pews with all their shame and their guilt and all their problems and they walk out the door with their shame and their guilt and their problems. And we never give them a chance to come to the altar and have God break the shame off of their lives and restore them and heal them for the struggles that they go through. See, the enemy is very smart. <clears throat> when you finally come into the presence of God, I don't have my wallet on me, but he pulls out a, a card, like an ID card. We call it a shame card. And worship starts playing, and you start worshiping the Lord, and you're just about to enter in the presence of God, and the enemy comes out, and he pulls out the shame card, and he's like, I know what you did last night. I know what you did yesterday. I know what you did last week. Don't think you can just stand here and worship the Lord. I know what you did. If, if we try hard enough, long enough, maybe God will accept me. 
It's a demonic treadmill that is working off of a shame that's preventing us from stepping into the fullness that God has for our lives. Oh, but it even gets, it gets even worse, all right? How can that get worse? It, it's, it's the enemy, that shame makes us slaves to God, not for God. Thinking that I have to work off the stuff that I have done. You know, so I have looked at pornography all week. Oh my gosh, I'm so terrible. I better go surf. I better go vacuum the church. I better go wash the toilets. I better go do all these stuff. I got to work to get myself free or to get forgiveness or to receive some kind of a, 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 I don't know what you call it, penance. That's a good word. Thank you. And missionaries and missions are full of people that are trying to work off their shame, that have become slaves to God because of their past, because it never got healed, it never got dealt with, it never got, they never allowed the Lord to touch their lives in that area to where they can become completely free and be servants of the Most High rather than thinking, oh, I've done all these bad things in my life, I gotta, I gotta, work it off. I got to do stuff. We call it the missing pillar of discipleship. This area of sexualization. We just don't talk about it. We just don't, you know, because of our shame or our guilt or the stigma around this topic, we the church have disqualified ourselves from speaking about it. Can I say that again? Because of our own shame, and our own guilt, we have disqualified ourselves to helping others. Don't, don't let anybody ever tell you the devil is dumb. He is very smart. If he is that dumb, none of us would sin. He is very smart. He might have only plan A, but he's smart. And we've got to be aware, know what his plans are, what he's doing uh, we were, I told you about the youth camp. We were in an AA meeting um, of people struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction. There's about 40 people there. And during this meeting, uh, in the middle, we just kind of talking with them. And we asked the question, how many of you here have had negative sexual experiences like molestation? And every single hand of the ladies went up in that meeting. And the Lord spoke to us. And he, he said, you know what? This is not even about being addicted to drug, drugs and alcohol. This is about medicating the pain. About medicating the shame. And it was it's, it's just eye-opening when you start thinking about these things, you know. Um, you guys have heard about um, Ellen DeGeneres, right? Some of you probably. It's not exactly, she's not exactly a friend of the church. Um, you know, I think she's on to her second partner or whatever, you know, and um, a, a few years ago, um, we listened to a testimony that she had on TV, and she was just sharing that when she was a young girl, her mom had breast cancer, so during, this, the, during the, the time that her mom went into treatment, her dad would be home, and he'll come to her and say, hey, honey, um, your mom is 
is at, is at the hospital getting treatment for breast cancer because she's got lumps on her breast. And uh, I think it's a good idea that we make sure there's no lumps on your breast. And this went on and on and on. And, and you wonder about Ellen, you wonder about her life, and you wonder about the things that she has said and spoken against the church. And then you hear what happened to her, and you're like, well, of course. Of course she will leave the life that she's living. That's the most natural choice that you would do, is to run away from, from men like that. Doesn't it change your perspective when you look at somebody and know what has gone, what the enemy has done in their lives, and knowing where they have ended up and where they're at now? I think it's so. Where does uh, <laughs> where does so? I'll bring it back together for those of you that look a little confused. Where does suffering and persecution come into this message? Um, I believe sometimes we sin, we open the door, we give the enemy a foothold to create havoc in our lives. Um, other times we get attacked and persecuted not because we did something wrong but because we did something right. I think we just heard a testimony this morning about it. Right? We get attacked because we do something right. We stand up for truth. We stand up for purity. We stand up for morals or what God is doing. And because we take that stand, the enemy hates us and he comes after us. I'll tell you, the devil hates us talking about this topic hates it because this is the number one working tool in his arsenal that is producing fruit and is destroying nations. We've got to break the sound barrier and talk about what nobody's talking about. And for that, we will get ridiculed. We get called names. We get persecuted. We get blamed for all kinds of stuff. But the fear of persecution, the fear of being made fun of, the fear of being called out and persecuted because of what belief, our morals, and our standards have caused many of us to be silent. One Peter four says, "Don't be surprised." that you will be persecuted. Matthew 10 says, don't be surprised that you will be dragged in front of governors. Or here in the States, there's some Supreme Court cases that people are being dragged in front of because of what they believe. Matthew 5 says, don't be surprised that you will be reviled. 2 Corinthians 12 says, don't be surprised when you receive insults. So what's our response? We don't talk, compromise our values to avoid persecution. When last have you sat down with, a ch- with your child or with a teenager or with a colleague or a friend and they tell you the hard stuff that they've been going through and, 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 and you sit down with them and you, and you listen to them and you have empathy with them and when they're done, you go, Praise God! Hallelujah! You are being persecuted. 
Way to go. You are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That a boy. Don't give up. Doesn't that sound weird? I mean, our natural tendency is to try to do what? Okay, let's not do that again. You know, we, we know where this road goes. We know where it ends up. You get beaten, so let's not walk down this road. Isn't that a fresh perspective just to, to congratulate somebody for being persecuted? All right. You got called what? Oh, my gosh. Way to go. I understand that I might have stirred some things up this morning, and, and I, I do want to give a time to, uh, for response. I, I, uh, it's something that the Lord has laid on my, my heart now for this last week or so. And I do want to give an opportunity for, if there's somebody here that's sitting and you're in the middle of this, that God will bring healing and restoration for you, that he will break the shame off of your life. He can do it in an instant. He is that good. He is that powerful. But before I do that, I need to talk and we need to deal about condemnation. I think because this issue, <clears throat> the sexualization of our culture, is so prevalent and we... I mean, I'm just talking about in the church. We struggle with this so much uh, uh, that there's so much guilt and shame and pain associated with this topic that we have elevated sexual sin as one of the unforgivable sins. We have elevated to the worst sense, worthy of being expelled, worthy of being ostracized, worthy of being cut off from the church because you did this. Maybe that's why we have a generation not coming to church. Because they're in the middle of this. But they know if they come to the church, they'll be ridiculed, they'll be made fun of. Why would they do that? Why would they come to church? If they know that's what's happening. Condemnation instead of forgiveness. Being rejected instead of freedom. We've added shame upon shame upon shame for those who have failed or a fallen in pornography or sexual immorality or adultery. You see, purity, I want you to hear me, purity is more than the history of your body. Purity is more than just the history of your body. We have come up to where we've ta taught young people that anybody that have this issue, you're like chewed gum. You know? Anybody want this gum? You know? You want to get married? You want to be, you're, chewed, you're chewed gum. You're, you're nothing. You're worthless. You, you want to marry this? It, it's the, the sense of condemnation and the sense of, 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 of just the enemy's uh, uh, shame that he tries to put in there. Is really terrible. Can you turn with me to Isaiah 61? This is a great passage. I love this passage. 
Isaiah chapter 61. It's a well-known passage. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to pray, proclaim good news to the poor. Other translations says, Good news to the afflicted, to the hurting, to the broken. Now listen to the Lord's response. I will bind up the brokenhearted. I will proclaim freedom to the captives. And I will release from darkness for those who are prisoners. You guys know the difference between a captive and a prisoner? A prisoner is in prison because of his own actions. Somebody who is captive is in a prison because they didn't deserve it or they got caught and imprisoned unlawfully. God proclaims freedom for both. Whether you willfully got yourself in the mess that you're in, or if something happened to you and you're in a mess, God comes and he says, I will proclaim freedom to both. I will comfort all who mourn. I will provide for those who grieve. I will bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that. You know, a display of His splendor. So guess who Jesus chose to reveal Himself? After he died on the cross and resurrected. Do you know who he chose to reveal himself to first? It wasn't his beloved John. It wasn't Peter that he proclaimed in front of, front of everybody. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. He didn't reveal himself to Andrew. Or to his own brother James. He chose... To reveal himself to Mary Magdalene, who most scholars believe had quite a past. Now you got to get the significance of this. This is so cool. The one with the biggest past, the one with the biggest stories to tell, the one that almost every man in the town knew. God says, I choose you. To reveal myself first. The redemptive purposes of God. God saying that I don't care about what you've gone through. I don't care what your past is. Or what you've walked through. I choose you first. See Jesus comes through. Jesus comes and he just reveals that there is no caste system in church. The haves and haves nots. Have, have nots. The have and have nots. You know, there's no uh, 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 back row for sinners. No chewed up gum section. You know, if you're if you're that person that past, well, your your seats in the back. You know, there's no wilted flower section in heaven. God reveals him first to the afflicted, to the dirty, to the poor. 
to the ones with the past. He chose you. You are important. And Jesus is great to put, put the petals back on the flower that the enemy has ripped off. He's amazing at it. Yeah, pastor, but you don't understand. I keep on sinning. I keep watching pornography. I live with my boyfriend. I'm in the middle of this. I'm having an affair. One of the most powerful verses that I love is in Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says, For a righteous man falls seven times, but gets up. A righteous man falls seven times, but gets up. You see, it's not about sinless perfection in the church. It's not about making sure we don't sin. That's got nothing to do with it. It's like, how are we going to get up after we fall? And I'm telling you, and Jesus is worth getting up for. So you fall seven times, get up. You just get up again. We've got to be, be a people that are not afraid to talk about this. See, the last thing the world needs um, is to have the church become, <laughs> we call it um, uh, 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 the shame the shame management relocation program. You know, we, we got a world that's in the middle of shame and guilt and, 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 and trouble. So we go and invite people, hey, don't, don't deal with your shame out there. Come to church. We'll all deal with it together. You know, we just relocate our shame from the world to inside the church. We're all still dealing with shame. We're all still dealing with guilt. But we just relocate it to, to the church. Instead of having a generation that, that, that will stand up and rise up. You know what? I have been there. I have been that person. But let me tell you how God has restored my life. Let me tell you how He's broken the shame off of my life. Let me tell you my testimony, not my PG testimony, my unrated testimony of the destruction that the enemy has done in my life and the healing and the restoration and the freedom that he has brought through me. That's what the world wants to hear. So we've got to talk about it. We've got to bring it out in the open. We've got to say, you know what? And I, and I, and, and I am sure there's, there's some of you here today that you're in the middle of it. I remember in a meeting in the Tri-Cities a couple of months ago, we had a, a, a conference there, and we, had a, we gave an opportunity for people come to, to come to the front and receive healing and restoration for God to break off shame off their lives. And we had a whole bunch of young people came, came up. And then there was a lady that was in her 80s that walked up. That she's have had something that she's been walking for for 60 years. 
and God just break off the shame right there off of her life. <laughs> That's who we worship. That's who we deal with. See, there's two sides of shame. There's shame from the choices that I have made or the consequences of the things that I have done that the enemy have put shame on. But then there's also shame um, that has come on you because of what is done to you. And God wants to break all of those off. And we need to have a church and a generation that is willing to stand up and say, what? you know what, if I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to be made fun of. If you guys are going to talk about purity in this state, you're going to be labeled. You're going to, there, there's some words that's going to come from who Addie is. But is that going to stop us? See, are we willing to say, God, you know, I will, I will do whatever it takes. Like, I might not be facing death, imminent death from Muslim extremists. But I might face being ostracized from my community because of what I believe. And again, this is, I hope you hear my heart. This, I don't want any condemnation in this. This is not telling people, oh, you did this, you are bad, you know, this is like, uh, that's not, it's about the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord that comes in and God says, you know what, I understand. I know what's going on. I mean, you can't turn on the TV without being sexually assaulted. You can't even stand on line in the grocery store being, without being visually assaulted with this spirit in our culture. We all struggle with it. And the most we can come in, we can say, you know what? Let's receive forgiveness. Let's allow Jesus to break the shame off of our lives. So let's bow our heads and every eye closed. I want to just give an invitation to anybody that are, that are here this morning and, and are listening to this message. If you are dealing with any kind of shame in your life, whether past or present. I want to tell you that the Lord wants to break it off of your life today. He wants to break the shame off of you. He wants to set you free. That demonic treadmill that the enemy has you on, He wants to break that thing to pieces. Because He loves you, He cares for you, he knows what you are going through. And if there's some of you men here that have been falling and have stumbling upon this area of sexuality in your lives, God says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up. He gets up. If you're struggling with any one of these, would you raise your hand? If you're dealing with sin, you're dealing with shame. Thank you.
Father, I want to pray for every single person here sitting here this morning. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you pour out your spirit upon your people and upon your church. And I pray, Father, that right now that you will pour out your grace and your forgiveness for every single person that's dealing with shame or past negative sexual experiences. I thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. And I want to pray, God, that you would just restore and break off shame in their lives right now in Jesus' name. Right now, Father. You break it off, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. See, there are some whispers of darkness out there that we want to break over this generation. Whispers of darkness where the enemy comes and he steals and he lies to our ladies and our men and he's saying that you are dirty. No Christian man or Christian woman will ever want to be with you knowing what you have done. We just break those off in Jesus' name. Any feeling of saying that I am desirable or I'm unwanted or dirty or defiled, we just break it off in Jesus' name. Oh, there's something wrong with your femininity. Oh, there's something wrong with your masculinity. We break that off in Jesus' name. We break off any spirit of accusation that said this is your fault. That you wanted this. We break it off in Jesus' name. Father, we just want to release every single person that struggled with this, Lord. We want to release the shame over their life. Just release it right now in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you. To prepare your testimony. Of what happened with your life. And what God has done in your life. And not sanitize it. People in the world has known enough of of a culture of Christians that stuff that's been going on in their lives and then they come to church and listen to it and they're like, well, I'm not there. That's not who I am. But to be able to come and proclaim to them what God has done in your life, the freedom that he has brought, the victories that he is bringing you, even if you're in the middle of it. We were at a senior pastor's meeting and... uh, of a network of churches and we talked about sexual sin and immorality and, and of uh, um, being in an affair and one of the senior pastors raises his hand. It's like, I'm in the middle of it. I'm right there. This is not past, this is present. And we need to be able to be a church that ha- is so saturated in grace. No, no matter who it is, no matter what they tell us, do we say, there's forgiveness. Let's break that shame off. 
Let's help you get on the right path. Again, this is not about sinless perfection. It's about a journey. Journey to purity. Journey to what God has for us in our lives. And we will stumble, and that's okay. Well, it's not okay, but he has grace for it. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you so much for having this time, allowing me to share. Um, we'll be hanging around afterwards, and so if you have any questions or want to know more of what we do, and uh, we would love to share with you uh, about what God's doing in our lives. Thank you.